Thank you, Zach. So good to be together once again tonight. And tonight, if you would, go ahead and be opening your Bibles to Numbers chapter 13. And we'll camp out there, so to speak. We will be looking at Joshua and Caleb tonight as they went out to spy out the land. Joshua and Caleb. Now, Joshua and Caleb were special friends, so to speak, being some of the spies that were sent out, we'll notice that there were 12 sent out, and then sometimes you need someone to stand with you. It just so happens that as they get into trouble, so to speak, later as they revolt or rise up against them, Joshua and Caleb stood together. Sometimes it's important to have a friend that will stand by you. As you go ahead and you open your Bibles to Numbers 13, we're going to begin by noticing that of spying out the land. Numbers chapter 13, beginning with the verses that were just read, verses 1 through 3. Beginning in verse 1, it says, And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Send men to spy out the land of Canaan, which I am giving to the children of Israel. From, ev from each tribe of their father you shall send a man, everyone a leader among them. So Moses sent them from the wilderness of Paran according to the command of the Lord, all of them men who were heads of the children of Israel. First off, as we begin, I want you to take notice. The land was given by God. God has already said, I'm going to give you this land. Now, a little bit later, we're going to understand that... I guess they didn't understand that God was giving it to them. You look back at God's protection for them throughout history, and we can see that God has always been there. You know, whether it be that they were afraid of the Egyptians, they got away whether it be that they're trying to attack one or they're scared of their enemies, they got away. Whether it be they were trying to cross a sea, we see the waters part. We see all these different things that take place showing God's protection. And so beginning in verses 1 through 3, especially if you note in verse 2, it says, which I am giving the children of Israel. God had a plan to give them the land. And yet, for some reason, they didn't get the memo, and we're going to notice later in the lesson that they fear, that they're worried. Not only do we notice that the land was given by God, but then He gave instructions. He gave them the opportunity to inspect it. You know, today, many people, when they, when they desire to buy something... Sometimes I've bought houses, and before I buy a house, I want to go and inspect it. It's even a, a biblical fact that a person that's going to buy a piece of land, if they're going to farm on it, they want to check it first. If you buy something, even if it's your squash at Walmart, your strawberries at Kroger, whatever it is, there's a good chance before you pick it up, you want to inspect it. All right, so God gives them the opportunity. In fact, He commands it. Uh, in verse 
3, Moses sent them from the wilderness of Paran according to the command of the Lord, all of them men who were heads of the children of Israel. So they're getting ready to go out and they're going to spy out the land. So God gives them the opportunity to inspect. Skip down. We're going to go ahead and skip through the, uh, the tribes and the people and get down to verse 17. It says in verse 17, Then Moses sent them to spy out the land of Canaan and said to them, Go up this way into the south and go up to the mountains and see how, what the land is like, whether the people who dwell in it are strong or weak, few or many, whether the land they dwell in is good or bad, whether the cities they inhabit are like, like camps or strongholds, whether the land is rich or poor and whether there are forests there or not. Be of good courage and bring some of the fruit of the land now the time was the season of the first ripe grapes. Notice here we send them out. The land is going to be inspected. He says here, go check it out. Now understand that prior to this, God has already promised them that, look, I'm taking you to a great place. Go. Go. Get up and flee from Egypt, and I'm going to take you to the promised land. It's going to be a land that flows with milk and honey. Noticing as you go down in Numbers chapter 13, look at verses 23 through 25, and we're going to see the land, the fertile ground, the fruit of the land. Here in verse 23 it says, And they came to the valley of Eshel, and there cut down a branch with one cluster of grapes. They carried it between two of them on a pole. They also brought some of the pomegranates and figs. The place was called the valley, the valley of Eshel because the cluster which the men of Israel cut down there. And they returned from spying out the land after 40 days. Now, it wasn't that long ago, about last year, sometime a month or so from now, we took a group of kids and we went up to Iowa and we were working with some people up there. And something about my house at home is mom has this thing over the back deck and the grapes grow up it and the grapes hang down and I love going and I love getting the grapes and eating them and I love celebrating every time my mother comes down as she cans grape juice and brings it to me but let me tell you about her grapes the grapes hang just similar to the ones that you get in the store they're a lot more round but they're not like these grapes you know, if I was to go and grab a bundle of grapes from my mother's house, I would just go and I would pick it and I would hold it and say, this is a bundle of grapes. If you go to the store and you grab a bag and you hold up that bag, you hold it up with one hand and you say, wow, that's a good looking cluster of grapes. All right, now God has promised that this land is going to be spectacular. And as you look at the, the account... It says in verse 23, they carried it between two of them. Understand that this land is very special. This land that God has promised is something that blew their minds, so to speak. These aren't the grapes you pick up at Kroger. We're talking about a, a grand cluster of grapes. It's heavy. It wasn't just one person, but rather they, they strung it between two of them and they're going to take it back. They're going to take it back to the land. And we'll notice that in the next group of passages. The fruit of the land was something spectacular. And within it, they're doing this within following that of the spying out of the land. 
that they've already been told that they're going to receive. As you think about application, within spying out land today, there are certain things that we do. Within being, within being Christians, within the life that we live, uh, part of what we do is we sow, sow seed. You know, as you look at Matthew chapter 13 in the parable of the sower, there's uh, the different types of land that the, the seed falls on. And yet the goal is that we can seek out and we can find fertile ground. We see that that fertile ground produced some 30, some 60, and some 100 fold. We see there was production from the land. Today, as we go out in the world, what do we need to be looking for? We need to spy out the land desiring fertile ground. You know, and just like in John chapter 4 and verse 35, there's, there's this thought process that, hey, I've got to, to find land that is fertile. I've got to find something that I can do. You know, in John chapter 4 and verse 35, they, understanding the day and time that they lived in, he says, don't say there are four months and then comes the harvest. Don't think, you know, four months, but he says, rather look, the fields are wide unto harvest. There is work to do right now. There's opportunity right now. There are things that take place all the time. We have these opportunities that we need to cash in that we need to take advantage of, that we need to find a way to use them. Today, I believe, as we consider the spying out of the land that they did, I encourage you to be spying out the fertile ground. Be developing ground so that one day it might be fertile ground. Let's continue on as we look at Joshua and Caleb. Notice the reporting of the land. Numbers, beginning in verse 26, it says, And they departed and came back to Moses and Aaron and all the congregation of the children of Israel in the wilderness of Paran at Kadesh. They brought back word to them and to all the congregation and showed them the fruit of the land. They say, looky here. But notice in verse 27 it says, Then they told him and said, We went to the land where you sent us. It truly flows with milk and honey. And this is its fruit. They brought back the fruit and the fruit was so impressive that they understood from looking at the fruit that this place is special. Now remember, God had promised them way prior. He said, hey, I'm going to take you to a land where the land flows with milk and honey. Notice at the beginning of, chap of the chapter and God says, I'm going to give you this land. They go and they see the land and now they come back and report and we're going to see things change. The following two verses, verses 28 and 29. He says, Nevertheless, the people who dwell in the land are strong. The cities are fortified and very large. Moreover, we saw the descendants of, of Anak there. The Amalekites dwell in the land of the south. The Hittites, the Jebusites, and the Amorites dwell in the mountains. And the Canaanites dwell by the sea and along the banks of the Jordan. All right, first they notice the beauty of this land of milk and honey. They notice the, the fertileness of this area. They notice how great it is. And now they take note of the people and they say, well, this land made a really strong people. And the problem isn't that they understood that these people are strong, but rather where they go next with their thought process. They didn't just leave it at their strong, but rather they find 
discouragement as we continue on. But there's one who first stands up. Look at the positive thinking in verse 30 of Caleb. Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, Let us go up at once and take possession. He said, For we are well able to overcome them. I don't believe that Caleb said, Well, I saw these great giants in the land. I see these great strong people. And I know that I'm doing it all by myself. I don't believe that that, that would have been the thought process. I believe there is no doubt that as he goes and see the, sees these strong people, he thought back to when God sends them. And he said, God is going to give us the land, no matter how strong they appear, no matter how big and bad you might think that they are, if God is on your side, you will surely win. So we see positive thinking that comes from Caleb as he stands up and he, he appears before the congregation and tells them, he says, we got it. We got this. He said, let's go get them. But then here come the others. Notice in verse 31 through the end of the chapter, it says, but the men who had gone up with him, we've got 10 others. You've also got Joshua who wasn't mentioned in verse 30. But in verse 31 through 33, it says, but the men who had gone up with him said, we are not able to go up against the people for they are stronger than we. And they gave the children of Israel a bad report of the land which they had spied out, saying the land through which we have gone as spies is a land that devours its inhabitants. And all the people whom we saw in it are men of great, strat of great stature. There we saw the giants, the descendants of Anak, come from the giants. And we were like grasshoppers in our own sight. So we were in their sight. You know, growing up in life, I've always been the shorter person. I've always looked around and I've known that you'd be scared of these big people that are giants in your world. As you look at them, you see these giants. You think of the Mark Gasols. They're seven foot something or other. We see these, these people that are much greater, and you're like, well, well, I'm just a little person. I'm just a small person compared to him, but it didn't bother Caleb. We'll see a little bit later that it didn't bother Joshua because the true giant is the one that has God on his side. As you look at Caleb and Joshua, they understand how they were sent. They understand who they were sent by. Notice the doubting of the ten. They were fearful. They said, look at these people. They're strong, they're big, and they can destroy us. But rather, rather than think about that, we need to be a Caleb. You know, there are a lot of things within the, within the world as we think about the fertile ground and the opportunities we have. We need to all be Caleb's. We need to be ones that say, I'm desiring opportunity to do the Lord's will. You know... Within this, within this whole historical account that we're going to see, we see the naysayers are going to cause, they're going to cause trouble for everybody in the camp. They're going to cause trouble for all of them because they're, they're whiny attitudes. They're like the negative Nancy. Well, you know, that won't work. I don't, I don't think there's any way that we can do it. But within, within the church today, we've got to be Caleb's. We've got to be sure in the Lord, understanding that God has a great job for us to do still today. I think about the giants in the land. You turn on the television, and we've got all these people that are out to destroy us. But yet I tell you, the church can continue. You look at politics, and we see all the, 
the decisions that are unfathomable, that are being made, and you understand that we've got these giants in the land, but I tell you, be a Caleb. Don't be fearful for the giants, but rather understand that my God is much greater than they. And understand within us as individuals, we have to be those Caleb's that look for opportunity. I think of Galatians chapter 6 and verse 10, it says, Therefore, as we have opportunity, do good unto all men. I think back to, to Jesus when he's talking about looking at the fields and the world around us, and he says the fields are wide unto harvest, meaning we've got opportunity. I believe if we're going to be what Christ would have us to be, we need to make every effort we can we need to strive in every way that we can to be the Caleb desiring opportunity. Now, I understand that within, within life, we don't always know how things are going to work out. We don't know how things are going to go. And you know, it wouldn't be that long ago that I thought when uh, Brad said, let's have this little run at the park on Memorial Day, I'm like, that sounds miserable. I don't want to go run at the cart. But I tell you, this morning, there was a fellow here by the name of Charles, and Charles was here because we met him while we were running at the park. We tried something, and we got benefits that came from it. It was a few weeks back, he was here again, or he was here previously, and then he came again this week. But we see that trying something yielded something. No matter what takes place, there was... There was an effort made for Christians to be able to hang out. There was an effort made for fellowship to take place and understand that through that fellowship, something great happened. Now, maybe one day he'll uh, study the gospel and he'll understand what God's design is, but either way, he's been exposed. I remember when I first moved down from living up north, I remember somebody was talking about, well, it was specifically door knocking at the time, and they said door knocking, you know, that's something that, that doesn't work, and you're wasting your time. And I understand to a certain point there's, there's a lot of work that goes out, and a lot of times it seems like there's very little in return. But I remember as talking to the young person that was another young person just like me, and he was talking about how Wasted the time was, and I said, well, I like what I'm doing a whole lot better than what you're not doing. As you think about being a Christian, I encourage you, take opportunities. Make opportunities. We don't know how things are going to work out. I know that having the group of about 20 Christians together was something that helped us or enabled us to shine our light in this area. I encourage you as Caleb, use your opportunities to stand up for the Lord. Use your opportunities, well, as Galatians chapter 6, verse 10, to look for opportunity. Therefore, as we have opportunity, I encourage you, keep trying. The only way you'll ever reach something is if you try something. If you aim for nothing, you'll... Be sure to never reach anything. I encourage you, give it your best effort as we go forward. Notice as they go on, Joshua and Caleb, we see the fleeing from the land. Go down to Numbers chapter 14, beginning in verse 1. It says, So all the congregation lifted up their voices and cried, and the people wept that night. And all the children of Israel complained against Moses and Aaron and the whole congregation and said to them, If only we had died in the land of Egypt, or 
if only we had died in this wilderness. Why has the Lord brought us into this land to fall by the sword that our wives and children should become victims? Would it not be better for us to return to Egypt? They say, I just want to go back. I want to go back to slavery where somebody rules over me and they, they make my burden unfathomable where I have to work so hard night and day. And we see these people say, I want to go back. We've got God that just said, I'm going to give you this land that you just saw that was beautiful. And you say, there's giants and I'm scared. Within God's design, we can't be fleers. We can't be people that are striving to leave the land, that are striving to give up on what job God has set before us. We see that they, they take it further. Go to, to verses 4 and 5 and they say, look, give us a new leader. He says, so they said to one another, let us select a leader and return to Egypt. Then Moses and Aaron fell on their faces before the assembly of the congregation of the children of Israel. He says, give us a new leader. I don't trust you anymore. You want us to go fight against those that are giants. Well, in order for us to fight against the giants today, whether it be the media, whether it be uh, the politics, whether it be just the the decline of morals in America, the point is we still got to stand up. We can't have that attitude where we, where we turn our back, but rather look for opportunity to do good. They said, we want a new leader. And notice in verse 6 through 9, I mentioned Caleb and Joshua, a true friend that will stand by him. He says, but Joshua the son of Nun and Caleb the son of Jephunneh, who were among those who had spied out the land, tore their clothes. And they spoke to all the congregation of the children of Israel, saying, The land we pass through to spy out is an exceedingly good land. If the Lord delights in us, they understood. If the Lord delights in us, He will bring us into this land and give it to us, a land which flows with milk and honey. Only do not rebel against the Lord, nor fear the people of the land, for they are bread. Their protection has departed from them, and the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. We see a right attitude there. We see the standing up for that which is right. Even in the face of everybody looking down, in the face of those being scared, we need to have a Joshua and a Caleb beside us. And I encourage you tonight that that Joshua and Caleb that is beside you are your fellow Christians. We've got to encourage one another as we strive to go forward. But they weren't ready to give in. Notice verse 10, the silencing of the workers. And all the congregation said, stone them with stones. Now the glory of the Lord appeared in the tabernacle of meeting before all the children of Israel. We see they say, you're crazy to think that God can give us that land. You're crazy to think that we can overcome the giants stone Joshua and Caleb. we got to be rid, with them. Get, be rid of them. They said, it's time for us to flee the land. I encourage you today, within the need for Joshua's and Caleb's, don't doubt the Word of God. And what I mean by that is don't doubt the power that, the God, that God placed within His Word, the power to save within God's Word. You know, in Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 12, it says the Word of God is living or quick. The, the Word of God is 100% alive today just as it was the day it was written. 
Just as the, the Word of God had the ability to change lives in the first century, the Word of God has the ability to save today. The goal is to find opportunities to bring more people to understand the truth. Within Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 12, it says the Word of God is quick or living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing through even to the division of soul and spirit, of the joints and the marrows, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. God's Word is all-powerful. Today, God's Word has the power to deliver us into the promised land, just like God's Word would have put them in the promised land right then rather than being stuck wandering in the wilderness. Now, our promised land is not the same one that they were talking about. We sing a song that says, To Canaan's land we go. We're talking about, within the song, the goal is that of our promised land, going on to eternity where we get to reside with the Lord. And with the short few minutes that we have left, I want to encourage you to notice the punishment they were withheld from the land. Numbers chapter 14, beginning in verse 11, it says, Then the Lord said to Moses, How long will these people reject me, and how long will they not believe me? With all the signs which I have performed among them, I will strike them with the pestilence and disinherit them, and I will make of you a nation greater and mightier than they. God said, I've had it up to here. I'm so tired of their disbelief. I show them everything. I give them everything. All these miraculous things took place so that they could be fed, so that they could be free, so they, they didn't die, so that they, they weren't overtaken by Egypt, and yet they doubt me. God says these people don't believe a thing. He said, I'm through with them. says, Moses, through you we can have that great nation come. Through, through Caleb and through Joshua. And yet God's ready to give up. He's so tired of this. Understand that within the world today, God has always hated disobedience. God has always hated disbelief. There's a lot of people talk, that talk about the, the God in heaven and they say, well, there's no way a God that is as good as, as He is would ever let one suffer. There's no way that God would ever let one be lost for eternity. And yet, we see God who has led these children of Israel that no doubt loved them or He would have never brought them away from Pharaoh. And we see God said, I've had it. They don't love me. They don't believe me. They don't trust in me. There is no faith. And he said, I'm through. And then we see Moses. In verses 13 through 20, Moses pleads for the people. You go down a little bit further in verse 23 through 30, we see that God withholds the promised land from these people because of their disbelief. Understand that God is going to punish those that don't put Him first. God is going to punish those that don't believe in Him, that don't follow His commands, understanding what God has, has laid out for us to do, we understand that it is possible to be withheld from the land. 
In Romans chapter 11 and verse 22, it says, Therefore consider the goodness or the justice and the severity of God. God's a great God who loves you, but yet at the same time, just as a father disciplines their children, God expects you to do what He requests. And so we see these people that are withheld from the land. We see these people other than, than Joshua and Caleb who had, who had stuck by the Lord, who stuck by each other and said, we can do this. I encourage you, be a Joshua. Be a Caleb. Be one that looks for opportunity. And although it might not always work, I tell you, sometimes just give it a try. You know, another thing that I believe has been beneficial that I would have never guessed would have had a positive outcome. They're fixing to wrap up a softball season. There was a young boy in the youth group when I first came here by the name of Taylor Keenum. In the last, you know, three years, we didn't see him almost ever. Throughout that time, being with uh, those that were playing softball and, and going through those activities, it just so happens within the last month or so, we see he's starting to plug himself back in. He's starting to come to church on a regular basis. In fact, he's at work tonight or he would be here, and then I wouldn't tell you this story. But we see that, we see that a difference is made over something as silly as members of the church to get, getting together and playing a softball game. If I encourage you in one way tonight, I want to beg you to take chances. Take chances as a church being together. Take chances as the church being in the community and taking every opportunity to try and reach the lost. I don't know what way it's going to be that reaches the next soul, but I do know this. If you don't try it, it isn't going to work. I encourage you, be a Joshua. Be a Caleb that's willing to stand for the Lord, that's willing to take chances. You know, in the rest of the children of Israel's eyes, they're like, you're taking a huge risk going up against these giants. And I'm telling you, make opportunities. Find opportunities. Seek opportunities to do good. Seek opportunities to show Christ in the world today. If you're not a Christian, think about the great light that is around you. As you look at these Christian brothers and sisters, we're here for one goal. It's because we want to go to heaven understanding that Jesus is the Christ. We want to put Him first. We want to turn away from whatever sin is in the world and part of being together is the opportunity that we have to escape the sin in the world that tries to pull us down throughout the week. We have the opportunity to exhort one another. That means lift us up so that we can make it through the week. That means encourage us so that we can go out and tell others about Christ. We see the goal to avoid sin. We see the necessity of us being willing to confess Christ not only to our brothers and sisters, not only before we're baptized, but as a lifestyle, we're willing to confess Christ as our Savior and tell the world, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, and I want you to as well. But it doesn't stop there within, within Christ's design. As you look at Acts chapter 2, verse 38, when they first laid out that of the, the church, as the church is coming into play, Jesus has, has risen from the dead, and they explained to them, look, you killed Christ 
They said, what do we have to do? And he said, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins. Today you can be saved the same way. If you haven't given your life to Christ, I beg of you. Make a change tonight. Give your life to Him. And be faithful until death. And the promise is a crown of life. If you haven't done just that, do it right now as we stand and sing.